Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad that you're here today and ready to study the Bible with us. Uh, we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can and we'll get to them in just a moment. But let me do a little brief explanation of what we do here in case... <coughs> Excuse me, in case you're a first-time viewer, uh, there's a phone number and a website on your screen. You can use those anytime you want, and you tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. A lot of religious TV programs just give you a sermon or tell you what they want to talk about that day. Uh, all we talk about is what you want us to talk about. So we take questions, we put them on the list and get to them just as quickly as we can. Uh, if you give us your name and address, we'll get you an answer in the mail, which is a little faster. Or if you give us your, uh, send us an email question, we'll get that answered even faster. Uh, so we want you to have an answer to your question, but we'll get to it on the air as quickly as we can. So that's what we do. Hope it helps you know your Bible a little bit better. I answer a few of the questions, and Toby, Toby Levering answers all the hard ones. Uh, I make the scripts, by the way, so I give him the hard ones. So, Toby, welcome back. Good Glad morning, you're Steve. here and ready to go. Uh, one question for our viewers to start the program. Always, Mary and Martha had a brother. Can you tell me who Mary and Martha's brother was? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. If you See if you and your family know that one. All right, Toby, you get... Uh, now, you said uh, you'd give me hard ones. This one's a pretty easy one. Yeah, I should be able to yeah, knock this one yeah, out, this, no problem. This shouldn't take long. If you were asked the question, what is the difference between the soul and the spirit? Okay, well, uh, this comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He's not really talking about the soul and spirit, but he's talking about the sharpness and the precision of the Word of God. And it says it, it divides even to separating the soul and the spirit. And lots of people read that and go, uh, what's the difference? Well, <laughs> the, the, the hard thing about this question is that no one knows. The easy thing about this question is I probably can't get it wrong, but uh, th it can be confusing because they're, they're pretty closely related, and yet they're different. And that's the whole point the Hebrew writer is making, is that even the Word of God can make that discernment between uh, those two entities who are very close and similar. Uh, my answer is the soul is the essence of who you are as a human being. Uh, it's the part of you that makes you, you, uh, if that makes sense. When you uh, go to a funeral and you look at the body and you see that that looks like the person or may look like the person, but you realize that's not really them. The soul is not there anymore. That's what made them them. It wasn't just the physical appearance. So the soul's that part. It's it's the 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 spirit is that aspect of our eternal nature, the part that connects with God. Um, maybe it would be what the Genesis calls um, we're we're given the breath of life. Uh, we're made in the image of God. I think that's more closely connected to the spirit. So uh, the spirit is the element of us which 
gives us the ability to have an eternal nature and to connect with God. Um, and whenever the word spirit is used, it's referring to that immaterial part of our humanity uh, that connects with John uh, or that connects with God himself. And in John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus says there, he says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what he's calling us to do in worship is to engage that part of ourselves that connects with the eternal, that connects with the Almighty, that's uh, the, the part of himself. Uh, but again, they're very closely related, but they're, they're a little bit different. So that's my answer. The soul's part, the unique part of who you are. It's unique to everyone. The spirit is uh, the, the eternal nature, if you will, of, of us. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is where we get this from. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, then discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, so I think the rest of that is not the verse there, but the point is <laughs> not the differences in the soul and the spirit, but the sharpness and the power of efficacy of the Word of God. And that part's not in the verse, by the way. Okay. That's a little study Bible edition there yes, from Yes, there you Toby. go. little commentary there. <laughs> That's a typo is what that was. <laughs> All right. Viewer wants to know, where does it say we are to be good stewards of the earth? And I advise you, uh, hardcore environmentalists, to sit down before I answer this question. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, the Bible doesn't say we're supposed to be good stewards of the earth. I'll tell you what it does says. Very, it does say very quickly, uh, when God created things, Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-six. Let me read that, and then we'll look at another verse. Uh, verse twenty-six. God said, "Let us make man in our image." in our likeness, and let them, man, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the uh, creatures that move along the ground. Then in verse 28, let's put it on the screen, God made man, and then it says, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the real fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. All right. Believe it or not, what the Bible says is God made man, then he made earth for man, and he put us in charge. He said, rule it, have dominion over it, uh, control it, uh, subdue it. Okay. A little bit later, it says, when Adam was in the garden... He was supposed to tend it. Uh, he was supposed to work and tend the garden, take care of it. Uh, that's as close as it gets to saying we're supposed to be good stewards. Uh, and that was of the garden, not of the earth. Now, why am I making that kind of a point about this is because we have somehow gone to where we think it's our job to save the planet. Uh, no, in fact, I don't want to save the planet. Uh, do I want to? take care of it and be a conservationist and not litter and all that. I think that's good stewardship and I believe in all that. But to make it our responsibility to save the planet is, is off base. Uh, God sustains this planet and he will destroy it when he's ready to destroy it. We won't take time to look at all those verses, but that's Bible. Uh, Jesus sustains the earth and its operation and it will end when he is ready to. 
uh, end it. And he will destroy it and everything will be vaporized and all of that. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out is because Romans 1 says what will happen when people deny God is one of the first things that will happen is they will begin to worship the creature rather than the creator. They will make animals and the planet gods and they will worship them instead of the creator. You don't have to look very far around us to see that's where we've gotten uh, animals and birds and fish and all who we were supposed to subdue and have dominion over and rule over now have been made higher than man. Uh, they're more important than man. Uh, too many in the can call it radical environmentalism if you want, but uh, basically it's earth worship. And uh, uh, I don't want to harp on this or get on a bandwagon about it, but if you're asked, does the Bible tell us to be good stewards? Not really. Uh, does it tell us it's our responsibility to save the planet? Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, God's going to take care of that just fine, and it's all going to be destroyed anyway. So, um, doesn't tell us to be good stewards of the earth. Doesn't mean I advocate <laughs> destroying the earth. Uh, I hope I think I'm a good conservationist and teach my boys to uh, leave the woods better than they were when we went in, and and all of that, and not dump chemicals in the river. And uh, I know I don't believe in any of that, but. I'm not responsible for saving the planet. <laughs> okay, enough right. on that probably. All right, the next question is, uh, what does sepulcher mean? Well, sepulcher is uh, not only hard to say, but it's not in many translations. Uh, the, uh, the, the word is a Latin word, and it's used to translate the original Hebrew word of the Bible that meant a chamber cut into solid rock that was used for a burial. Uh, you'll find this word most often in the Old King James. And that's uh, why you find it there, because that was authorized by King James himself, and that was authorized in 1611. So 400-year-old English is going to sound a little different. We're going to have words that we don't often use or run into, but that's what it means. When you go into more modern English translations, uh, you'll see that that word has been rendered as the word Tomb. We see many examples of it in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, Abraham uh, buried Sarah in a tomb, uh, in a sepulcher. De uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, when God buried Moses. In Acts chapter 2, uh, pe uh, when Peter was speaking of uh, buried David, he said he was buried there and he's still there to this day. Uh, and of course, Matt, uh, Jesus was uh, in a tomb, in a sepulcher, but uh, of course he didn't stay there, uh, as we all know. So uh, that's what it means, and most modern English translations render that as the word tomb. So uh, that's the answer to that. Okay, very good. It is a hard word to say for some reason. <laughs> all right, uh, let me take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we have some Bible study materials, and if you watch us every week, you probably get a little tired of us mentioning it, but uh, on the other hand, I have a lot of people that come up to me and say, I'm going to sign up for that someday. I haven't just gotten around to it yet. Well, today's a good day to get around to it uh, because this is a good way to study the Bible. And we know many of our viewers are hardcore, old-time Bible students that know more about the Bible than we do maybe, but we also got a lot of viewers that have never gotten started in Bible study and would like to do so. And this is a good way to do that. There are eight lessons in this introductory set of lessons. It uh, 
introduces you to the Bible, gives you a good ground foundation of what the Bible's about. Uh, starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can't get much more basic than that. Uh, once you understand those two big parts, uh, you'll do a lot better at understanding the whole Bible. So web num- uh, website and phone number are on the screen. Use those anytime. You just tell us you want that free course. And we'll get it started for you. And we've got more advanced courses. You can keep studying the Bible for a long time uh, with Know Your Bible study tools. So get in touch with us and let us get that started for you. A uh, viewer just wants us to refresh him with a verse here. Uh, what verse did you mention that tells the three ways of temptation? Well, let's just read that verse together. It's in 1 John chapter 2, 16 and 17. It says, For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's not from the Father, it's from the world. Some of you may be more familiar with the older translation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, That is what we talked about as being the three ways of temptation. And our interpretation is, John was saying there, that's all the world's got. Uh, That's the only thing that Satan uses is either the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life. That's how he tempts us. That's what the world offers. Uh, As an example, we sometimes talk about Eve being tempted. Uh, You go back and read that situation. That's exactly what the serpent used. Uh, She said, it looks good. The desires of the eyes, it, it would taste good. The lust of the flesh... And it would make me wise like God, the pride of life. I want to be like God. So those are the three things that Satan used there. It's the same three things he still uses today. Uh, You sit down and make a list sometime. Try to think of any temptation uh, that is not one of those three categories. Uh, Desire of the flesh, desire of the eyes, or the pride of life. Uh, It's... I'm not sure it's impossible, but I think it is. <laughs> I've never thought of one uh, that doesn't fit in one of those three categories. So those are the three ways that Satan tempts us. That's the three ways the world works. Uh, and our job as uh, followers of Christ is to pay attention to him instead of the temptations of the world. Very good. Uh, got a kind of a tough life situation question here. Uh, my mother had a major stroke, and we have to decide whether to disconnect life support. Am I killing her? Well, um, life support, as with any uh, and most modern te- medical technology, can be a wonderful thing in certain situations to be able to allow uh, the bo- to extend the time for the body to heal. And if things are improving, it can really do a great deal of good. But it can also create these sort of ethical dilemmas when you have a person connected and they're they're not getting any better and they're just the machines are breathing and keeping the person alive and um, in that situation and I don't know your specifics but you know it doesn't sound like uh, you're killing her by disconnecting it it sounds like the stroke is what killed her and uh, disconnecting the life support is just stopping the machines from keeping her alive so um, it's a very hard situation uh, two or three minute answer on 
TV is not going to uh, be perfect uh, to every individual situa situation. Uh, but I, if you know, obviously you need to you know talk to the doctors and make sure the family's in agreement and spend a lot of time in prayer and maybe ask God, you know, if uh, if if she's to stay alive, you know, when we turn off the machines, keep her alive and show us that she's still to go on. I think that's okay to do. Um, that's about all I can tell you to do, and uh, and um, uh, I wish you the, the best in, in making that decision. Now, uh, that's a hard situation for you, and it's a good reminder for all of us uh, to make sure uh, that you communicate your wishes on situations like that. And by the way, it's more helpful if you do more than just talk about it, but you write it down. You have a, uh, a living will and, you know, decide your, you know, DNR and all of that stuff. If you make those wishes known, write it down so that, God forbid, the worst does happen, uh, that your family isn't put under more stress by having to make that decision that they're unsure what you would want done. Uh, but most of the time, if you're not so fortunate to have those things written down, if you just sit down and talk about it and say, well, you know, what would mom want in this situation? If she could stand here with us and, and, and sit here with us, what would she say? So uh, that's maybe some helpful way to go. So communicate your wishes to your family. Let them know exactly what you want to do uh, in that kind of situation. The scripture says uh, not much about this kind of situation, but it does say this in Psalm 139. It said, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And uh, we live in a world where we try to extend that number of days, but God says those, uh, those day days are written down and he knows uh, when it's, how many each of us are allotted. So hope that's helpful and comforting to some. Yep, good advice there. I've been in situations with families that are in that situation. A uh, couple of things I'd add, not add, just reinforce, to talk to the doctors. The doctors can tell you if yep. there's any hope, uh, if the person is already really gone and all that. So talk to the doctors, rely on their advice there. Uh, and secondly, one thing I always think of is realize that all of this technology that we have uh, is a blessing in many ways, but it gives us decisions that 20 or 30 years ago we yeah. wouldn't even have had to ask about. Yeah. Uh, there wouldn't be a situation. So understand that uh, if we'd lived just a few years ago, this would have been all settled, mm -hmm. uh, and mom or whoever would have been gone long ago probably. Uh, we've added years to our life, but not necessarily good years. So uh, uh, that great, great advice there, and talk about it beforehand. Know what your family wants. All right, quick question here. How can God the Father know when the end will come and God the Son not know? Well, uh, let's just read the verse that causes this question to come up, Matthew twenty four thirty six, And the apostles asked Jesus when the end of the world was going to come. And he said, that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Uh, so some people who have trouble with the Trinity and all that point to this and say, well, looky there, God and Jesus aren't equal uh, because the Father knows something and the Son doesn't know something. Uh, the answer, I believe, is that this was said while Jesus was on earth. While he was on earth, while he was incarnate, while he was fully man, 
yet still fully God, which is a mystery we can't understand. Uh, while he was fully man, there were things that he didn't do, wasn't able to do, if you want to use that language, uh, because there was a difference uh, that he himself had caused, uh, had brought about. Uh, Philippians 2 explains it about as well as we can understand it. Let me just read a few verses, Philippians 2, verse 6. And it talks about Jesus and his attitude. It says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he was God. He was by nature God. But he didn't think he had to hold on to that because of what he needed to do on earth. So he made himself nothing, verse 7, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, like I said, this is a mystery we can't understand, but something happened when Jesus decided that he would lay aside some of his divine abilities, divine attributes, divine privileges, whatever you want to call it, he humbled himself. He became a servant, by nature a servant. And mysterious how he could do that, but God becoming incarnate is a great mystery. Uh, so while he was here, there were some things that as God he could have done. In fact, all the healings he did, he asked the Father to perform them for him. Uh, he prayed when he wanted to raise Lazarus. He said, Father, raise Lazarus for me. Uh, Lazarus, uh, God did it. So uh, there's something about his 30 years on earth uh, where he was still fully God, yet he was fully man. So my theory is when he was asked this question, is, I don't really know that right now. Now he's back in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. He's co-equal with God. I think he probably knows now. Uh, not probably. I think he knows now when the earth will end. Uh, but when he was a man, things were different. So that's the best I can answer that one. All right, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program's kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we have a number of congregations that help us. And uh, there's a couple that I want to mention here today. Uh, one's in Great Bend, Kansas, and one's in Scott City, Kansas. So folks that believe in the work that Know Your Bible does and help us stay on the air, and we appreciate them. And uh, if you live in one of those communities, and if you're looking for a church home, certainly visit one of them. You'd be warmly welcomed. Uh, however, maybe you just know somebody that attends the Church of Christ in Great Bend or Scott City. Uh, mention it to them sometime that you saw them mentioned on Know Your Bible and you like this program. And uh, thank them for keeping us on the air. So do that. Uh, any market you're in, there's a Church of Christ near you. Uh, drop in, visit them, or thank them for keeping us on the air. All right, Toby. Okay, a clarification question. A viewer asks, please clarify Hebrews 10, 26, and 27. And uh, I think that would be helpful if we looked at that verse on the screen. I think we've mentioned this before in previous weeks. But uh, for if we go on sinning, the writer of Hebrews says, deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, therefore there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. 
but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Well, I think as many, we t say many times on this program, a little context goes a long way in helping us understand the scripture. So if we just back up a little bit, uh, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, this is important because uh, the Hebrews to whom he is writing uh, understood that the most holy place was not a place where just anyone could go. It was a place that the most the high priest was only allowed in once a year. It was a special place. When Jesus died, when that sacrifice was made, the curtain was torn, and he allowed us to go in. Uh, that He is the only way, he is the only means by which we were allowed into the full contact and presence of God. And I think that's what he's saying here. There's only, there's only one way into the presence of God. Uh, there's only uh, one... Uh, means by which we can have access to God. And, you know, in uh, my Toby simplified translation would be, uh, look, if, if, you, if you go on in sin and, and you decide not to follow Christ or you decide to follow Christ and give up and, and never, turn back, never turn back to, to the Lord, uh, what else? There's no other answer. You know, Jesus is the only way. Uh, if He's the only way, then the only way is through Him. Um, and that's kind of what he's saying. You can't find any other path to God, and, and there's no other way to find a, a propitiation for our sins. So uh, the words are very clear about the dangers of leaving Christ, but I don't think that this means a person cannot return to Jesus. My example for that is Peter. You think about Peter. He denied Jesus very clearly in public three separate times, and Jesus still pulled him back in and said, you know, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So Jesus is merciful and patient and understands our human nature. And I think uh, as long as a person has life in them, they still have the opportunity to turn back. I think the, the, the message here is without Christ, there is no hope. He is the only hope. Let's read Acts chapter 4, verse 12, which says there is a salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the emphasis, I think, is that Christ is the hope, the only hope we've got. Okay. Uh, current event kind of question here that's up to date. Uh, everyone says, OMG, uh, isn't that using God's name in vain? Well, I guess you could argue that uh, abbreviating <laughs> is a little bit better than, than saying it out loud, but uh, either the abbreviation or the full statement, oh my God, uh, that is so common today. Uh, it just one of my pet peeves, I guess, is on TV when uh, they reveal the new house or win the big prize or something. All the person can say over and over is, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Uh, yes, it's using it in vain in one sense. The commandment about not using God's name in vain was really about taking oaths and swearing by the name of God. And he said, don't do that if you don't really mean it. Uh, but it is certainly disrespectful. It's certainly, uh, you might even call it blasphemous. It's certainly not respectful. It's frivolous use of God's name. Uh, I might point out that the Jews were so serious about the name of God uh, that they wouldn't say it out loud or write it. Uh, that's how holy they held his name. Uh, and I'm not saying we can't say it out loud, but we ought to do it in a way that's respectful 
in a way that recognizes who God is. And yes, I think it's a horrible practice that uh, we've gotten into in this society and people are used to it and uh, it doesn't mean anything to them. I wish it wasn't so, but we're going to have to learn to live with it, I guess, and do the best we can to be respectful about the name of God. All right, Mary and Martha's brother is our trivia question today. Uh, who was he? And his name was Lazarus. Everybody knows about him and his resurrection from the dead. And Mary and Martha were his sisters. And Jesus loved all of them. They're very close friends of his. Glad you've been with us today. We're going to come back next week and try to answer some more of them. So be back then. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.